Welcome to the MMA Formula Podcast. Here's your host, Linda Mayer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode one of the MMA Formula Podcast, and I'll be your host. My name is Wim de Meer. I'll talk in this episode a little bit about myself to introduce myself to the listeners so you know uh, who I am and where I'm coming from. And then I'll explain what I see is MMA, so what it means for me, and what are some of the fundamentals that you need as a fighter, in particular a stand-up fighter, for competition and sparring and so on. And then I'll, I'll explain what's coming up next. So that's what you have in store in this episode. So let's get right to it. Um, my name is Wim de Meere. I'm 48. I live in Belgium. That's in Europe. And uh, I've been training for about 35 years in a wide variety of martial arts and combat sports. Now, back in the day, and that means uh, <laughs> quite a while ago, for me, there wasn't a lot of MMA to be found here. And like I'll, I'll mention that later, but... Uh, MMA is relatively new as a sport when you look at the UFC. It's only been around for about 25 years. So um, it, there wasn't a lot of that to be found over here. So I competed in Sancho or also called Sanda, which is Chinese kickboxing. And you can view that as a combination of kickboxing and throwing. So stand-up grappling, no groundwork, but throws and, and trips and takedowns were allowed. And obviously striking. Um, that's what I did. Enjoyed it a lot. I also competed in similar style tournaments like uh, Kyokushinkai, which is where there's no striking to the head allowed, but everything else is full contact with uh, either no gloves or really thin gloves, uh, a lot thinner than what you see in MMA now. So that's a bit of my background. Trained in a bunch of combat sports uh, from Sanna Sancho, Muay Thai, uh, some shoot fighting, a lot of stuff over the years. If it were up to me, I'd do it all. But obviously, every now and then, somebody has to go to work, including me. So um, I enjoy everything, but you have to focus at one point. And for me, that was Sanda back in the day when I competed. Uh, at one time, I was the coach of the national team over here. And that was a lot of fun as well. And, uh, you know, I've been teaching MMA for a while. Now, what is this podcast about? It's mostly going to be about stand-up fighting. Why? Well, two reasons. Uh, first of all, that's what I enjoy talking about, about the most and, and many of the fans, that's what they like to see the most because it's usually the most spectacular when you get to see knockouts and so on. But also another reason is that there's already so many podcasts about grappling and BJJ and so on. I don't see at this stage what I would have to add to that. There's a lot of people who are really highly skilled that do a lot of breakdowns and, and share information on that front. So. I think there's uh, still still a little bit of room left for talking about stand-up fighting, and that's what I want to do. What will you get as far as content is concerned? Well, uh, I'll talk about specific events. Um, I'll talk about specific fights, techniques. I'll take listener questions. You can always uh, ask questions, and, and I'll put them on a list and see if I can answer them. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to do some interviews as well. And as time goes on, I'll probably add some more different kinds of content. So that's what you can expect. Now, if you want to support the podcast, and, and again, this is episode one, so I'll, uh, I can appreciate anybody who wants to share and subscribe to the podcast, uh, hit the like button and, and share these episodes with whoever you think might find them useful. If you want to do a little bit more, 
well you can go to my patreon that's patreon.com forward slash mma formula and there's a bunch of exclusive content there so um some of you might know my youtube channel already in which i do uh, knockouts analysis uh, of guys knocking each other out in the ufc and then i break down how exactly that happened and what the technical aspects of that are so i do those detailed a lot longer than i do them now on youtube I do the detailed ones on Patreon, also showing drills, combinations. Uh, there will be bonus podcast episodes there as well. So if you want to support the show and get access to a bunch of extra content, you know, by all means, go there. Again, uh, patreon.com forward slash MMA formula. Links in the show notes so you can see it there as well. Right. So that said, let's, uh, let's hit the main topic. Um, I feel like we have to define what MMA is because it's different things for different people. So for me, most of all, it is a combat sport. That means that it involves fighting, obviously, but it's also a sport, which means there are rules and regulations, there's weight classes. There's a bunch of things that you do not find, for instance, in the typical self-defense scenario where you're walking down the street minding your own business and this guy wants to mug you. Totally different environment. Now, obviously, uh, MMA techniques can be used for self-defense, but that's a, a topic for another time because it's a much more nuanced discussion than saying like you can't use it or it works every time. I've, I've written about that in the past on my blog and so on, but I'm not going to go too deeply into that. For me, MMA is a combat sport, just like Muay Thai, the way, the way we see it in the ring is a combat sport, just like wrestling, the way we see it in competition is a combat sport. MMA is the same thing. What it is in particular for me, and that's what drew me to it, is that I believe it's the combat sport with the best balance between freedom and safety. Now, what that means is that many techniques are allowed. There's a lot more allowed than in boxing. Boxing is just punches. In MMA, you can do forearms, you can do elbows. I mean, you can do a truckload of techniques with your arms. Um, there's a lot more allowed in, than in wrestling. Wrestling has tremendous grappling, obviously. And, and a really interesting ground game, but there's no striking allowed. And then you get, for instance, Muay Thai, which is great for striking with all limbs, but the clinching is extremely limited to stand-up clinching and there's a zero ground game. So when you look at the MMA rule set, that means that you have a lot of freedom to be creative. And I'll get back to that in a minute, but that's what drew me the most is that you're pretty much free to do whatever you like, as long as you can stick to the rules. And there aren't that many compared to many other uh, combat sports. Now, certain techniques obviously are forbidden, and, and we can argue over those if they, if they should be, but they do keep the fighters more safe. Now, to give you an example, uh, look up some of the old pride fights uh, online, and back in those pride days, the stomping to the head of a downed opponent, that was allowed. So look, look up those fights, you, some of the old fights of Vanderlei Silva and, and, and all those guys. Uh, you'll see that somebody drops to the ground or is, or is put there and they just stomp kick the hell out of the people, of the guy on the ground's head. That is completely forbidden in, in current UFC rules, in the unified rules. So if you look at those old fights, you'll see that it changes tremendously how you fight. The techniques and the tactics change a lot. So again, we can argue over, is it a good or a bad thing? Is it less real, quote unquote, a fight if you take out these techniques? Um, for me, I think right now, the way the rules are, 
there's so much that is allowed that I can live with the limitations that are put upon the fighters. There's a lot that is allowed. There's a little bit that is forbidden. But that balance that I mentioned, I think is very important because you don't just want to have guys beat each other up and end up crippled or just completely uh, ruined uh, in a short amount of time. Fighter safety is an, is an issue. We want to see good fights, but we don't want to see those guys end up uh, totally messed up in, in a career that only spans like 10 years. It, it, still ha it still happens, obviously, but we want to avoid it as much as possible. So for that, rules are and regulations are, are necessary. And I think that, that balance to the, that MMA strikes is pretty good. But most of all, what I like is that you can use whatever style or technique you want as long as it is within those rules. You want to strike like a boxer or a Muay Thai fighter or a karate guy, it's fine. You want to kick like a Kung Fu guy or a Taekwondo uh, fighter, that's also fine. Your grappling, it can come from wrestling, it can come from BJJ, catch a sketch can wrestling, whatever. That's all fine. The only thing that really matters is that you're going to have to make it work. You have to pull it off. Nobody cares about your style if you can fight. And that's what I like a lot. Now, many decades ago in Japan, for instance, uh, they did a lot of those mixed style matchup uh, fights that, that you, you had uh, famously Muhammad Ali fighting uh, um, Inoki, the, the Japanese wrestler guy. It um, wasn't really a great fight to watch, but they, they liked those kind of fights or putting a wrestler against a boxer or a Muay Thai guy against a karate guy. And um, those kind of fights are also always fun because they can be very, very surprising. The guy you think wouldn't be able to pull things off all of a sudden showed great technique and managed to knock the other guy out. And vice versa. Sometimes you're like, okay, this guy is never going to survive. And you were right. He, he was woefully unprepared to uh, fight whoever was in front of him. So these kind of um, mix-up between styles uh, is, is something that I like a lot. It's not about what is the perfect or best martial arts for MMA. It's more the diversity of training techniques and, and strategies and tactics. That's what I find fascinating. And you see that a lot more in MMA than you see it in any of the other combat sports that I've mentioned already. And then a final point, what I really like is that the UFC, like I said, it's, it's a little bit over 25 years old and the fights from the beginning, like from the first few UFC events, they don't look anything like the fights you saw about 10 years after and they don't look anything like the fights you see today. There's, Obviously, the, the rules and regulations have changed a little bit, but overall, there's just a huge, huge change that happened over the years, and the sports evolved very much in that time frame, much more than many other sports. What we see is that this is still happening. So there's a lot of evolution happening in the sport, and, and that's what I like to see is that you're free to experiment. You can try out new things. Um, I'm old enough to remember the days when you could hear uh, commentators on MMA uh, tournaments and, and fights and events say like, you know, leg kicks don't finish fights. Yeah, about that. We, we, we've seen plenty of times um, that that actually was the case. Um, we've, we've also seen guys say stuff like, well, you know, this is important, that is important. And then a few years later, everything switches around. So this kind of constant flux that the sport is in right now, I enjoy that a lot. I think it's great. 
as a martial artist and as a combat sports athlete, um, it's something that, that I find very fascinating is that, okay, you can try something new out, see how it works. And if you can make it work, okay, great, awesome. So if, if you guys uh, watched uh, UFC Fight Night Morales versus Sandhagen, you saw a really, a really good example of that with, with Buckley doing that, that spinning back kick on, um, uh, what's his name, Kasanganai. And just his, his leg gets grabbed and he just spins around and jumps and does a perfect spin back kick standing on one leg. So that was that was the example that I, I like to give here because it, it's something that, to my recollection, has never been done in the UFC before. And and he said afterwards in the interview, like, you know, I, I do this in practice a lot. I just never pulled it off in a fight. And, you know, I said, like, what the hell? I'll just give it a try. And that's the kind of thing I think is fascinating is that it can still happen. Many sports become stale and people don't experiment or the evolution is so much slower than what we see in MMA right now. So that's a little bit of background of how I view the sport. And I'll, I'll go a little bit more in detail now about some of the things that I believe are um, fundamental. So I'm going to focus, like I said, on stand-up fighting. So what are some of the fundamentals of stand-up fighting? When I teach new students, uh, I explain a few principles first. Uh, principles are things that you adhere to. So they're, they're mental constructs. They're, uh, they're a way of viewing fighting in a cage and using them as an overall guide or an overall rule of thumb, something that you try to adhere to. You have to understand it and you try to implement that knowledge constantly. They're overarching. So the first one is whenever in range of the opponent, either attack, break away or control him. So once again, whenever you're in range of your opponent, attack, break away or control him. Why? Well, if you are in range of your opponent, that means that the first guy to strike usually lands his strike. The first guy to attack, whether it's a punch, kick, going for a clinch, going for a takedown, whatever it is, the first guy to initiate tends to win. Or at the very least, land. And the first guy to land, really good, often ends up finishing his opponent or knocking him out. So that means that being in range is obviously the most dangerous thing to, to do as a fighter. But you also have to go there because otherwise you can't hit the opponent unless you've got freakishly long arms and legs and he's... Uh, the smallest guy in the division and even then he's going to try to come close and be in range so whenever you're in his range you need to make sure that you're doing something and i generally as a basic principle would promote three things attack him because if he's not attacking you attack and again react human reaction time is what it is so that means that if you're close by if you're in range and he's not doing anything and you attack first you have a really good chance of landing I'm talking in range, not out of range, not stepping into range. So that's the that's the critical difference. If you are in range, whatever the situation is, whatever the scenario is, you find yourself in range of the other guy, strike, attack, grab him, go for the takedown, do something, but you have to attack. That puts him on the defensive. Now the other, the other option is you break away, you break distance. You notice that you are in range, you you step, use whatever footwork you like. And you get away from him. You break the distance so that he cannot touch you. He cannot attack you. He needs to advance 
and that buys you time to do something. So this is of critical importance because many times you see fighters ending up out of position or a little bit off balance while they are in range. They're not in a good position to attack. They're not in a good position to control the other guy. So the only thing that's left is pretty much trying to get away from him, which means footwork, evasion, and so on. But if you hesitate at that point, when you're out of position, then the other guy can just get a free shot in. And again, if you're unlucky, that's the end of the fight for you. So attack, break away, or control him. Now control him generally means something along the lines of a clinch. You don't have to have a perfect clinch, but you need to do something that stops him from firing an attack at you at will. That could be hand fighting, that could be going into a light clinch, that could be pushing the guy, that could be pulling him closer or off to the side, like doing an arm drag. It could be a bunch of things. But you control his movement, which means that he cannot attack you any way he likes. He needs to adapt to whatever you're doing. So this is the basic principle. Whenever in range of the opponent, attack, break away, or control him. If you do these things, then the chances of you landing a successful attack and not getting hit or him not landing a successful attack, those chances go up. And that's what you want. The whole point is to win without taking any damage. That would be perfect. Failing that, you want to minimize the damage. Principle number two. And this is critical. You need to have the ability to generate and withstand pressure. And that means mostly forward pressure. You need to have the ability to generate and withstand pressure namely forward pressure, pressure coming at you. doesn't matter how that pressure is going to manifest itself. It could be striking, it could be kicking, it could be pushing, pulling, using leverage, etc. It doesn't matter. If you lack the ability to generate forward pressure, meaning, for instance, if you don't have enough power in your punches and kicks, when you bring forward pressure to him, he will be able to just walk right through them or he will be able to pull off techniques that he can only do because he doesn't have to worry about your strikes because he knows he can take them or they're not precise enough they lack power they lack stopping power and so on and because of that he can just come forward while you are striking or right after or just before he doesn't have to take into account your offense because it's it doesn't have enough pressure so you need the ability to generate that and this is, this is what a lot of guys focus on, especially in the beginning of, uh, of their training, that they just want to hit real hard. Generating forward pressure is not just about striking hard. That, that is critical to understand. Um, it's, it's, it's not just being able to, to wing punches at the other guy and basically knock his block off and, and just hit him so hard that, that he doesn't know uh, where, where he ends up. So, so it's not just about that. It's being able to stop him from, for instance, advancing onto you and simply just doing whatever he likes. Meaning that he steps forward, he wants to punch or kick or whatever, and you throw, for instance, a body kick and that body kick just stops him in his tracks. Or when you do, for instance, a leg kick, one of my favorite techniques, you do that leg kick, he needs to immediately be unable to step. If your leg bounces off his leg, and he just walks forward, you're vulnerable. If you land the leg kick and he's destabilized, the leg that you kick flies off to the side, 
he stumbles and falls. He stumbles or loses his balance. That's what I mean with forward pressure. If he's unable to absorb that, to withstand that pressure that you put on him, then you have the advantage. Same applies to you. You need to be able to withstand the pressure. And this is, for instance, uh, take uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. What does he do? He puts a lot of forward pressure on guys and they know that the takedown or the clinch is coming. So he's constantly trying to push people backwards. And if they can't handle that, then he, then he tends to you know, get them where exactly where he wants. He gets his takedown and they go down. So you need to be able to withstand the pressure coming at you. And again, that could be striking, could be pushing, pulling. It could be some sort of grappling. It could be a guy trying to take you down or, or tripping and throwing you. That pressure that, that he puts you under, you need to be able to withstand that. Now, that doesn't mean planting your feet and pushing back or striking back. That means just as much parrying, blocking, head movement, evading, footwork, and so on. Meaning that the pressure that you feel coming at you, you're not overwhelmed by it. You can, for instance, when a guy puts, uh, puts this blitz on you and he charges in with a bunch of punches, you don't just have to backpedal. If you can get off to the side and angle off a little bit and regain your, your position, and then strike back at him, that's perfectly fine. You don't just have to stand there and take it and close your guard with a double-armed guard and then wait for the barrage to be over. That's not what I, what I mean. That is one form of it, but there's a lot more to it than that. So being able to generate and withstand pressure is a, is a critical element of, of just the basic principle of being able to do that it will help you a lot as an MMA fighter. And then the last one. And this is, for me, this is, this is uh, one of my pet peeves. And that is defense before, during, and after the attack. Now, a lot of people defend before the attack. A lot of people forget to defend after. But so many more, they, they forget to defend themselves as they are, they are attacking. So a lot of guys out there who still, to this day, we saw more in the beginning days of the UFC, in the early days of MMA, but it's, it's still prevalent where they're like, okay, if I just hit this guy really hard, I charge in, I hit as hard as I can. If I can land it, he won't be able to do anything against me and he's going down and I can do whatever I want. Sure. But the prerequisite for that is that you do land that technique, which is what, when it goes wrong, what leaves you in a very, very vulnerable position. So thinking of defending yourself as you do an attack and not just before and after, but at, as you do that, it, it will help you avoid taking unnecessary, unnecessary damage. It also avoids giving the guy counters. For instance, dropping your hands when you strike. Let's say you throw a right cross, a right straight punch, you drop your, and you're in a, in a regular lead. So that right punch comes in, you torque with your body, you've got a lot of power and speed, but you drop that left hand. So you don't cover up high, your left hand drops down to your waist or even below, especially when people get tired, this happens. That means that the entire left side of your body and in particular your head is wide open. So if he times it and he slips off to his left and he, and he wings an overhand, uh, a right overhand at you, it's going to land. You've got nothing to protect you there. And I, I developed this principle because, um, well, it's not just me, a lot of people use it, but the main reason why I use it is if you look at knockouts, in many cases, and I would even venture to say in most of the cases, 
it's not necessarily that the guy causing the knockout did the perfect technique. It's more that he landed a technique because there was an opening that didn't need to be there. For instance, let's say you throw a jab and, and he slips a little bit off to his left and he throws the hardest body kick ever. He breaks your ribs, you fall down and you can't get up and you're, and you're out. Well, he can land that kick to the left side of your body because if you, if you throw the jab, your arm won't be there. You're in an on-guard position. You've got your elbow down, protecting your ribs. If you strike with your left hand, if you're in a left lead, that arm needs to extend to throw that jab, which means inevitably that your the, the body shot is there. You, you, you have to open up the body to throw the jab. And if he times that perfectly and gets that, that body kick in and, and he kicks so hard, like a lot of guys do nowadays, you're going to eat that kick. And if you can't handle that and you go down, well, that was perfect timing for him, perfect shot placement, perfect technique selection. In my experience, most knockouts are not like that. They're more along the lines of what I said before, is that somebody drops his hands when he shouldn't. You throw a left hook, and instead of keeping your right hand tight, your hand close to your face, your, your elbow tucked in towards your ribs, people drop that right hand, and then they're wide open for a counter hook or, or something else. That happens so much more often. So to, to avoid that, you have to think through in training, okay, would I do an attack? How can I defend, how can I defend myself before, during, and after? It takes a lot of forethought. Usually that's the coach who's going to correct you uh, on that front. But that's a principle I believe is critical, again, not just in winning fights, but also longevity. If you want to have like a 15 or 20 year career, you better defend yourself because the damage you take is often something that will shorten your career. So those are the three principles that I use when I teach. Um, let's move on to some fundamental skills. Now, Skills are not the same thing as techniques. A technique is, for instance, throwing a straight jab, throwing a right hook, throwing a left uppercut. That's a technique. A skill is being able to do that technique in a wide variety of ways. Every, every technique has variations. You can throw a stiff jab, you can throw a double jab, you can throw an up jab. There's so many variations to throwing the jab that you, if you see them as separate techniques, it's going to be difficult to become a good fighter. If you view them as a skill, meaning you, you need the ability to use a, a wide variety of different variations of the same technique and choose to do them on the right moment, at the right time, in the right context. So that's skill. It's being able to adapt your technique to whatever is in front of you. Whereas a technique is any of the dozens of individual variations of said technique. So I focus on skills mostly as opposed to simple techniques. We start with a technique and then we branch out to the variations and then focus on, okay, how can you develop those? How can you increase your understanding? And obviously, you know, make the right choice of using the variation that, that works best for the, a given context. When, when you want to start out, the, the skills to, to really help you out, you need to work at them at all at all times, so they become the foundation of everything you do. So they're, they're, they're basics, but they need to be automated, which means that as long as you have to think about those kind of things, you're gonna have a hard time being a very effective fighter. So the skills that I'm going to mention are something that typically as a beginner, you'll focus on a lot. 
And then you build on those later on by adding on more nuanced and more, more complex skills afterwards. So let's, let's take, a, uh, take a look at a few. I'm just going to mention a few. Um, I will mention stance, footwork, and controlling range along with orientation. So very basic uh, stance. You got to start, start somewhere. Be in, a, in some sort of stance. When it comes to stand-up, I typically teach two stances to begin. The first one is a striker stance, and that is a relatively high stance where you have a, a good balance between mobility and stability, but the focus is on striking with upper and lower body. And then the other one is a grappler stance, where you widen and deepen your stance a little bit more because, yes, you can still punch and kick from there, but it's a little bit more difficult. It takes a little bit more strength. But you are much more able to shoot in for a takedown, go for some, some sort of grappling uh, uh, technique, or accept and absorb the techniques that somebody does along the same lines to you. So if you're a little bit lower, a little bit wider in your stance, it's going to be easier to stuff whatever takedown somebody wants to do on you than when you are in a really high, tall, striking stance. So I teach both to beginners, starting with the, the high stance, then afterwards people switch to a slightly lower stance. Those are basics. There's, there's many, many more. And in the Patreon bonus episodes I'll do uh, next, I'll talk a little bit about things like Wonderboy Thompson. He likes to use the side horse stance or the Muay Thai stance that Khalil Roundtree used and uh, was very effective with. So those are more specialty stances. And I'll, uh, in the Patreon, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. But first off, you need to have your stance right. I can't tell you how many times that, for instance, beginning students will uh, learn the stance, they can do it, and then I have them work on a few basic striking techniques, and I go away for five minutes to let them practice, and when I come back, the stance is gone. Sure, the arms might be up, but they've got locked out knees, they're too narrow or too wide, and so on, and the stance is gone. And that's what I mean with automating. You, you need to do this automatically. If you have to think about it, it doesn't work. Now, once you get the stance down, we need to go to the next part, and that is footwork. And the reason is very simple. If you're fighting an idiot, then he's going to let you just stand in front of him and, and beat you up. You, you know, hoping that the opponent is an idiot, that's not really a good tactical plan. So that means that you will have to move. You, you will have to get to your opponent. And that means footwork. Well, not all footwork is the same. So if you just look at mostly linear footwork, uh, I start in, in a sequence. So I start with uh, stepping in and out. That's using your lead foot to step in and out. The back foot hardly moves. But for instance, with a jab, with a quick jab, you step in with the left, uh, straight left as you land your left foot and then immediately bounce back and, and create uh, a little bit more space again. So that's step in and out. Step drag is the same thing, but you're gonna drag up that rear foot to stay closer. And you follow up afterwards with the next level, and that's the double step. So that's step drag, step drag. So if you're in the left lead, that's gonna be left, right, left, right foot. And that is a quick advance towards the opponent while maintaining balance. Now, replacement step, that's the next one. That's a little bit different. Here you're going to use the back foot first, to bring that all the way up towards your front foot and then take a big step forward with your lead foot. It's tricky. It has the benefit of being easier. It doesn't require as much energy and it covers a lot of ground, but it is a lot more visible. 
and while you close your stance, so that's while you bring up your back foot before you step to lead one, you will be vulnerable because you'll be off balance. Whatever he does then, it's, it's going to land and you won't be able to do much about it because you've got your feet pretty much closed. It's only a fraction of a second, but still you're vulnerable there and you have to know it. Next, we've got the shifting step or full step. And that is just you step with, if your right foot is in back, you take a big step forward, your right foot ends up forward. So you're in southpaw all of a sudden. And then you take another big step and your left foot comes forward again. So that's like a regular walking. One foot comes in front of the other, but then in a much more exaggerated way. So you're taking big steps forward. You, you usually only take a few. It's like one, maybe two, at best three, but they're actual steps. They're not the same thing as the next point, and that's a charge. A charge or a blitz is where you run towards the guy. And, and that's very, very different. We see a lot of guys doing that nowadays. When they attack, they just run forward with punches and add a kick at the end or something along those lines. That's a charge. That's high risk, high reward. If it works, puts a lot of pressure on the guy. If it doesn't work, you're unable to stop and change directions until you slow down. And that means that sometimes you end up getting punched in the face. Um, if you remember how uh, Stipe Miocic won his, uh, his heavyweight title, you got Fabrizio Verdum running after him, throwing these punches, and all of a sudden Stipe just plants and fires back and he knocks Verdum out. That is a charge. So Verdum was charging, but he didn't manage to uh, do it well, and he, he paid a price for that. So charging is, is effective, but it's high risk, high reward. Now on the opposite side, we can all we can do these things backwards, of course. So you can step back and forward. You can do a step drag backwards, double step, replacement step, and so on. And then we've got backpedaling, which is like a charge where you go, you run backwards. It's not a great idea because you very often end up uh, with your back against the fence. And that's why I teach why I teach the L step, and that is something again. I'll, I'll go more in detail on um, on the Patreon and bonus episode, but. Um, that's one of the ways in which you can tactically avoid many of the problems that are associated with, with very fast charging footwork. And one of the guys who's really good at, at that is Israel Adesanya. He's really good at the L-step. Now, those are the basic footwork patterns that I teach. And then we've got something else and that comes after. After people can go quickly forward and backwards, then I add the sidestep, which is basically going left and right. Then you've got pivots, which is pivoting off to the side, either left or right. Pendulum step is a little bit different. Pendulum step is swinging with the back leg. So it's tracing a circle with your back foot. It's a little bit of a specialized type of footwork. So I don't teach it all that often uh, at first. It always comes last, uh, pretty much, I wouldn't say last, but later in the development of, uh, of fighters. And then we've got a swivel step. If you, if you know what a swivel punch is, you can look that up. That's kind of like old school boxing. Uh, swivel punch is very effective in MMA. Um, Dustin Poirier did one, uh, a really great one in one of his fights where he was completely uh, out of position and he did a swivel step followed by a straight punch and, and nailed the guy. So, so those are more specialized types of footwork uh, that, I, that I add later on. So that's a lot of footwork that you need to master. And for me, it's key that you do that in a, in a progressive manner. You start with stepping in and out, then the step drag, and then the rest, so that you try to build skill upon skill. You don't start with something that is difficult, meaning the charge. Because most people can't run effectively, let alone run forward and, and, and land effective punches. 
and not be off balance. So you start slow and then you build up. The key of, of the footwork is that some footwork is effective in certain phases of a fight, uh, and I'll cover phases of a fight later, and other footwork isn't. Uh, it depends on, on uh, what's going on in the fight. If you're both starting out, everybody's fresh, you're a lot quicker, and you can react quickly. If it's the last round, if it's five rounds for a championship fight and everybody's tired, then other footwork might work better. But you need to master it first, which is why the skill of footwork is so important. So that's about that's what I want to say about footwork. Uh, and again, in the Patreon bonus episode, I'll talk a little bit more about something else, uh, the, the L step. But let's talk about controlling range. Now, before we can talk about controlling range, we have to define a little bit. I define ranges, again, in, in a manner that works for me. Every coach is different, but this is what I do. So first off, it's running range. Now, uh, running range, um, Jorge Masvidal against Ben Askren, that's running range. He, he's all the way with his back against the fence, and he just starts sprinting forward. Now, uh, who was it again? Uh, Verdum fought the guy, and I'm blanking on his name, the, the, the guy who married uh, Ronda Rousey. When they fought for Doom, just came running forward and did a jumping sidekick to the guy's face and landed it, actually. So running range is, is against, it's really high risk, high reward. Meaning that if it works, it can work great. Again, Masvidal against Aspirin, that was a perfect example. He just runs forward and, and, and throws that knee and, and it was fight over. Uh, spectacular fashion, awesome. If it fails, it tends to fail miserably because once you're running, Changing directions is really, really difficult. If the guy plants and nails you and just spikes you onto his uh, fist as you run forward, that's the downside. It also happens. But running range is really far. The distance that most people think they are safe. I'm giving specific those specifically those examples of, uh, of, of Masvidal and, and Askren because that's what shows you that you aren't safe. It's easy to think like, oh, no, I'm fine. The guy's on the other side of the cage. Well, you know, he can sprint forward and, and, and nail you in, in a second and a half. So you don't want to be too relaxed there. Next range is outside range. So that is just outside of kicking range. And kicking range is obviously the range that he can use with his furthest reaching kick to get you. That's kicking range. Moving a little bit closer, we get to long striking range, which is straight punches, jabs, crosses, overhands, and so on. Then we've got short striking range, um, which is more the hooking techniques. Uh, you, sometimes we, we call that, uh, we, we, we distinguish also medium range, which is hooks and relatively long uh, hooks. And then a little bit closer would be really short range that will be uppercuts and uh, shots to the body. And then we get to the clinch. That's the next one. I distinguish between far, medium, and near which means that you can clinch with uh, grabbing the neck, for instance, with both hands, but you've got your body leaning away from the guy as you drive forward. Medium range clinch would be something like uh, elbow and neck tie up, and a near range in the clinch would be the plumb, the, the tie clinch, where you are really close to the guy and, and pulling him tight. And then the, the last few ranges, that's on the fence. Same thing, far, medium, and near. You've got the guy with his back against the fence, you're very close, but the conditions are different from a clinch where you are just standing in the middle of a cage. It's very different, it's like a different kind of range, different possibilities when it comes to striking. So that's why I distinguish them. So that's a lot of, a lot of stuff to, to master, to understand, and to practice. 
So for me, when you start to look at controlling range, you have to understand what the different ranges are. Not everybody makes this much of a distinction as I do. A lot of coaches keep it a lot more simple. It's fine. And for a lot of guys, when we get started, I don't go into that much detail. I typically start with stand outside of range. He can't reach you and get into critical distance, which is the next, the next thing. Critical distance is the distance between you and your opponent that when he takes one step forward, he can hit you. doesn't matter if it is with a punch or a kick. He can take one step forward and he can hit you. So you have to imagine uh, a line between you two that if he crosses that one, he's within distance and he can hit you. If he stays just behind that line, that's critical distance. That's That means that you have to be really, really careful as to what goes on there. Because if you're not paying attention, he steps over that line and he's going to nail you with a shot and that's it. For instance, if you saw the latest uh, the fight this weekend at some Barboza, how many times didn't you get Americani with that, with that leaning right hand? Not really a full overhand, but he would lean a little bit forward to the left and then suddenly explode with that right hand. That's what I mean. If, if you, you have to be just outside of distance that he cannot land those kind of shots. He needs to step forward to do those. So once you understand critical distance, you can play with it. And it, it simplifies a lot of things. It simplifies what kind of range the fight will happen at, as opposed to uh, the opponent deciding that. Obviously, you need to be able to change range. And that means you need to understand when you have to go from one range to the other, depending on your, your strategy and tactics, depending on what's going on in the fight. But also understand that as he moves around you, how the ranges change. Range is not static, it's constantly changing. And either you are controlling it or he is. If you aren't, he is controlling range. That means that he controls where the fight happens when it comes to stand-up. If he controls it and he is better at you at that range than he is, then you're in a lot of trouble. So being able to control range starts with understanding the different ranges, knowing which techniques work best in different ranges, knowing what critical distance is, controlling it, and then changing range as things go, as things happen, and adapt accordingly. And obviously understand when, when somebody changes range on you. A lot of the examples, for instance, when it comes to people making those mistakes against that is uh, guys throwing themselves off balance after they strike because they lean all the way forward because they strike from just outside of, for instance, long striking range. And then they lean forward and then they miss and fall after their punches and fall into a counter. You need to know that if you take one step forward, you do an overhand or a right straight and it lands, you need to know where you need to be in relation to your opponent so that it can land. If you don't know that, you don't understand your range, you don't know your range, or uh, you might have other, other problems where you're, you might be uh, uh, telegraphing a little bit more, a little bit too much your intent. But generally, it's about understanding range. So that was it about controlling range. We've got one more, and that's orientation. So orientation means how are you standing in relation to your opponent? Typically, we have squared off, which means we're face-to-face. -face. This is where a lot of the fighting happens. It's also the most dangerous orientation. You've got all your weapons aimed at him, but he has the same aim at you. So you can both strike well. 
So the next one is diagonal range is if he's at your 12 o'clock, you are standing at, let's say five or seven, which means that you're at a slight angle towards him. If you are, if he's at 12 and you're at five and you're both in a regular stance, that means both your arms are focused on him and you like this well, but he only has his left hand and left foot that, that he can actually aim at you easily. If he wants to use his right hand or right leg, he needs to reorient, pivot a little bit, or step off towards his left to get you. So that's the diagonal angle. A side angle is 90 degrees to the left, where you end up being on the side of the guy. So you're looking right at him, but he is completely uh, looking at a 90 degree angle away from you. So this is transitionary usually. You don't, you don't usually stay there, but he is looking either to the front or to the back. It doesn't matter which one it is, but you've got a side angle on him. You're off, you're totally on his side, aiming your weapons at him, and he basically has no weapon really aimed at you. He needs to pivot. And if he doesn't do that, you, you, you can let whatever you want. Then obviously we've got the diagonal back and fully behind the opponent. So the diagonal back is, is the same thing. If, um, if he is at 12 o'clock and he's got his back to you this time, and you are at, let's say, five and seven. You're slightly at an angle, but he doesn't get to see you. Uh, that's when people fail in a spinning technique, for instance. Uh, or when you have, uh, remember Francis Ngannou uh, against uh, Junior Dos Santos. Junior threw this really big overhand and missed, and he had his back towards Ngannou. Ngannou just came forward and hit him there. Now, the reason why I mentioned orientation and why it's so important is in that example, you're not allowed to hit the back of the head, which means that if the example of Ngano and the Santos here, uh, that means that Ngano couldn't throw straight punches because he would have hit Junior in the back of the head. So he had to use more rounded off circular looping punches to hit to the side of the, of the head. So that's why orientation matters. What you can do and how you are vulnerable to whatever he can do changes as you change orientation. There are superior angles, angles in which you are in a better position, tactically speaking, than your opponent and vice versa. And it's figuring out those and being able to get to those and or avoid certain orientations that is the skill of understanding orientation. So, so that's it. So we've got stance, footwork, controlling range and orientation that I explained. The point is this, all these things are not black and white. These skills, they interact with each other and they blend together. So there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of variation in each of these. And that's why I see them as skills and not individual techniques, because for instance, footwork is the ability to, to use all the kinds of footwork that I mentioned and, and the ones that I haven't mentioned yet. And it's not just about, for instance, being real good at sidestepping, but being horribly bad at pivoting. That is being able to master a technique that is in the category of footwork. That is not a skill. You're mastering a technique and you're not good at other techniques. Being skillful with footwork means that you can use it all with references, with certain footwork you do a little bit better than, than other footwork, it's fine, but you can switch from one to the other as needed and you understand when you need to switch. So that's the difference between skill and technique. Now, beginners should focus on these things that I just mentioned when they start training. Because the better you become at these, the easier everything else will be. And it's also going to avoid technical dead-end streets. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more in the Patreon uh, bonus episode on that. But I'll give you an example. If your footwork's bad, 
your timing will be difficult. It's not going to be easy to time your shots well because the other guy will see you coming and you'll be easy to read as a result and he can just pick you off from a distance. If your footwork's good, that's a lot more difficult for him. So that would be a technical dead-end street where you don't focus on footwork, it's not really good, and you'll, you'll, if you look at um, the competition rosters, you'll see a lot of guys who fall in that category. They hit like a truck, but they have crappy footwork, which means that they, they depend on luck or the opponent being not that skillful with footwork, with footwork either, and they depend on that to win their fights. Whereas when your footwork's good, which is a basic skill, then you're, you, you can work around that very easily. There are more skills to be mastered, obviously, but I'm going to do that in the next episode because I've been uh, we've been talking for a while now. So I'm looking at the timer has been 48 minutes. So um, that's a lot of information that, to digest, but I would say like uh, work with that a little bit. See if you can uh, improve upon your training methods a little bit with that in mind. And if you're, you've got that covered already, that would be awesome. That means you've got a great coach. Um, and obviously there are many other ways of approaching these different skills and these different principles than I just did. But the point is that what I want to do with my podcast is help guys who, uh, who are just starting out or if you're already even a pro fighter, maybe, um, that there might be a little bit of a different paradigm or a different context or a different mental framework that I can give you and some tidbits here and there that you can use for your own training. So that, that's the whole point. Right, so we're coming to the end of the episode. So what's coming next um, on, on the YouTube channel? The UFC Fight Night Morales versus Sandhagen was great. There were a lot of knockouts there. So I'm gonna, I've got a lot of analysis videos to do on YouTube and on the Patreon uh, where I do the more in-depth ones. So that's coming in the next few days, hopefully. I've got a lot of um, other work outside of obviously uh, doing what I do online. Uh, I've got a full-time job, but... I'm going to try to do a bunch of those because they were really interesting ones. Tom's spinning back kick is one of them. There was uh, Sandhagen's uh, spinning kick was also really nice. So a lot of breakdowns that are coming your way. In the next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about skills and basics uh, to help you get you started. But if you have ideas or suggestions, uh, let me know. And the easiest way to do that is comment on YouTube or on the Facebook page. And, and you can find the link in the show notes. Um, I love reader questions and listener questions. It's always great because that helps me think a little bit more about the things that I do and teach and, and, and reframe them maybe. Or sometimes people ask a question like, hey, I hadn't thought about that before. Awesome. Let me see what I, what I can come up, come up with. All right. So that's it, guys. I'm going to sign off. So again, like, share, subscribe. Go to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash MMA formula. If you want to help out and um, you have the next episode already to look forward to. If all goes well, it's going to be in about two weeks. I'm going to try to do an episode every two weeks. And uh, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. But that's kind of the schedule that I'm going for. All right, guys. Thank you for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to the MMA Formula Podcast. For more information, go to www.mmaformula.com.